Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Sarah Nestor. Sarah is a motion picture literary agent at Verve Talent and Literary Agency. Sarah, we're very excited to have you on the show today. How's it going? It's going well. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. My first question is always the same. And it's where are you in the world right now? Given your profession, I always want to guess LA, but I don't want to assume. I'm in rainy Santa Monica today. I was here through the pandemic, but when it got really, really hot down here, I am lucky enough to have family that lives in the Bay Area. So I kind of split my time between here and the Bay Area when, you know, I just need a break <laughs> from my apartment. Before we get into process, I always like to find out a little bit about yourself for context for the listeners. So did you always want to be an agent? Can you walk us through your trajectory leading up to this point? Yeah, not at all. I did not. I had no idea what I wanted to be. Quite frankly, I grew up in rural North Carolina. And go figure in rural North Carolina, they don't teach you all the jobs available to you in the entertainment industry. I always knew I loved film and TV. That much I knew. But I kind of moved here with the intention of just trying to figure it out and see what fit me best. And in that process, I realized, you know, starting at an agency is really what you need, what you need to get a foot in the door. And I interviewed at two places. It was eight years ago at Verve. So it was just a fun startup vibe at the time, which I really, really dug and immediately connected with. And luckily they hired me in the mailroom. And then I just love the pace. I fell in love with the pace, the work. I'm very lit focused, meaning I majored in English. I love reading. I love analyzing writing for the screen. And it just was so exciting on a daily basis that I fell in love with it immediately. And they haven't gotten rid of me since, <laughs> fortunately for me. Let's dive right into process specifically. I think the most high-level question we can really ask is, for those who don't know, can you walk us through the difference between a literary agent, a manager, a talent agent? I know you're a motion picture literary agent. I'm sure there are TV literary agents. So can you walk us through a little bit just from a very high level and then we can break things down? Well, and honestly, the lines are getting kind of blurred nowadays between an agent and a manager. We're both representatives. Sometimes we both do the same kinds of work. Historically speaking, agents are the ones who are responsible for taking out and selling material and negotiating deals. Managers have been more development focused, but you know, at Verve, we love getting in the weeds on development. We love Soup to Nuts, all service agency, because it's one of the rare opportunities we get to actually be creative. So we truly love it. And I think our insights really help to have earlier on as far as, you know, guiding the writer on which ideas are sellable based on 
what we know of the marketplace. And as far as motion picture literary agent goes, that means I just, I don't represent actors or actresses. And if I do, I represent them for directing or writing in that capacity, essentially. Directors, screenwriters, authors, any type of writer, really, and director. I'd love to get more granular with the specifics of what you do. You mentioned or highlighted some of those reading, analyzing writing for the screen, negotiating deals, development. The first one, though, that we have to start with, how do you get most of your clients? Is it through the classic query letter process? I wish I were better at being that truffle pig who finds, you know, the voice in the obscure pile, you know, that becomes that big person. But quite frankly, I get a lot of my clients from managers and doing good work begets more good work and more shared partnerships. But I mean, I do respect what writers go through. It certainly is challenging to get to that point. What I will say is query letters, we're not allowed to engage in that. I don't personally, I get a lot of them. And I think if you're looking to get an agent doing some sort of program like the AFI program or Nichols Fellowship or something of that nature, always know that if your writing is good enough, we will find you no matter where you are. So some people scour the Blacklist website. There's any number of ways to approach it, but know that you don't find us, we find you. And by you finding them, you mean that they should be creating works. Yeah, just focus on your craft, perfecting it. And I think submitting to those programs will actually do a lot of good as far as getting you in the door where people are reading your material. And if not, I think it's time to go back to the drawing board and try something else as far as writing goes. A new sample, maybe. What are the types of talent that you are looking for? For the writers that you discover through managers, as you mentioned, which are the ones that you choose to work with? And what are the voices that you specifically are looking to enhance? This is going to sound so boring, but honestly, there is no specific like rule book for me. I think any smart material that's loud and noisy and fresh that I love to read, and it's not a slog and it's not tedious to get through. I have a a soft spot in my heart for amazing true stories that I didn't know before or, you know, prestige pieces, but I also like horror. I think anything that can be a vehicle for social commentary is chef's kiss. But yeah, I mean, it really just depends. Good is good at the end of the day. I love animation writers. As long as it's smart material that, you know, can break through or cut through the noise, I think that's really what all agents look for because we read so much. And the loudest and noisiest samples really kind of stand out, essentially. For those writers who are looking to find an agent, when you find someone that you want to work with, what do those first steps look like leading up to when you sign them and when you start working with them and begin to develop them? What does that initial incubation phase look like? Totally. It depends on where they are in their career, quite frankly. We like to tailor the approach to the person. If you are a brand new writer and this is your first representative, you have a new piece of material, it will involve you know, getting your 
sample out there, getting people reading your project, seeing if you can put it together through the studio system. And for those that engage in the writing, but maybe not interested in producing, getting people into general meetings is a really good way to form relationships. But we don't really do general meetings like a lot of other places, meaning sometimes general meetings can be wasted time if you're not going into them with a clear directive of a business that you can launch out of them, which means having that next idea at the ready where you can talk about that if they ask you, what are you working on? We also like to give a rundown of each person that they're meeting with, their slate, any open assignments that we think they could be right for. So it can be a bit more productive than a typical general meeting. But that is the first approach for a younger writer. And I think we also want to get them in traction on open writing assignments and showing them what's out there. And I think that can be a fruitful process for some. It can be a frustrating process for others. But with every single opportunity, we like to give a full rundown on what the landscape is, any nuance that there is to a project so that they can actually choose to engage knowing all of the information. That's generally speaking how we would approach it. But for you know more established writers, I think it's figuring out what projects they want to get made and take out. It is finding those high-level, high-high-level opportunities, getting them in meetings with high-level directors or actors, any number. It's kind of similar, but in a less educational capacity. As far as the works themselves, you touched upon the different types of writing, writing assignments, and obviously pitching, that kind of stuff. Can you break down for the writers who may not know the difference between maybe a writing sample that a writer writes for themselves to Mm -hmm. maybe garner attention from a agent, and then also the writing assignments that you get for them. And then also for both of those, how often are they pitching themselves? Do you have to be further along in your career? What does all that kind of come together? Yeah, it depends on just to answer the last question first. It depends on where they are in their career, for sure. If they have a noisy enough sample that is like number one on the blacklist pops in that way, I think there is a direct path there to open writing assignments that the closer you are to that number one spot on the list, the easier it is to convert into meaningful open writing assignments. Open writing assignments, generally speaking, are paid opportunities in which you are competing to be hired by whoever is financing development to write, rewrite, polish, weekly work, any number of different types of work that they might need on a project between the conception of the project to the production of the project or through the production of the project. The closer you get to production, the more experienced the writer an assignment will need because they will be looking towards a green light and need somebody that they can absolutely count on and rely on. The open writing assignment game can be frustrating in some ways if you are competing for a project where you're investing a lot of time and energy into coming up with the idea and might not get it then it's a matter of time management, really. 
that said, it's a necessary part of the business as well, because it expands your relationships. It allows you the opportunity to come up with ideas that further deepen those relationships without necessarily having to write something on spec for somebody, which is what writing a spec would be. It would be writing it for free. You control it. We take it out and try to sell it or make it. That's roughly the difference. As far as those writing assignments that you mentioned, what do the timelines usually look like? How quickly do those deadlines come up? What does a typical project look like? I imagine there are probably no such thing as a typical project, but what does it look like when someone gets hired and those deadlines are coming up? Is it a month? Is it a couple of weeks? It depends on the amount of work that you're getting hired to do. So for a draft, I would say you have between 8 and 12 weeks, typically speaking, to deliver. You're paid on a commencement and delivery basis on that. For a rewrite, it's, I don't know, eight to six to eight, roughly. Polish, four to six. Weekly would be on a weekly basis. But yeah, I think it's negotiable as well. Normally, if you're going to go over the deadline, people will be understanding about it. But it is something a lot of writers worry about because they want to keep that deadline. And it's up to the writer to budget their own time. And I think that's where an agent can also come in and help. If you are projecting a delivery past the deadline, the sooner you can let the representatives know so that they can let the producers know and manage everybody's expectations, the better it will be for you. You mentioned analyzing writing for the screen. From your perspective, and this is getting into your job specifically, What does it look like when you take a look at someone's writing and what are the qualities about good writing that you recognize? What are the notes that you provide? Walk us through an example situation where you're reviewing work from one of your clients. That's a loaded question. Well, honestly, I think first and foremost, I look for a connection to the story itself. I look for where this sits in the marketplace based on the buying appetites at all the studios. We collect all of that data. We cover all of the studios and have a very, very innate understanding of what people are looking for and what people aren't. There are specifics on how to approach certain genres that you have to keep in mind as well, where it will be a longer journey. And knowing that up front may help a writer decide whether or not they want to continue to invest time in it. I think for movies, It really depends on the person and where they are in their career as well. If they need that sample to educate people on their work, and it's a great sample, but doesn't necessarily feel like a movie that's going to get made right now, but maybe in 10 years, that's a legitimate avenue to take. Just because people like reading good stuff, and it familiarizes people with your voice. But I think it really just has to come down to is this something that I would want to see? Is this something that everyone would want to see? Or is there a way to finesse it in a way that feels more contemporary or avoids certain misinterpretations? I'm very conscious of you know what we're putting out there into the world and whether or not it is going to do more harm than good or all good. I think we have a tremendous responsibility working in entertainment to make sure that what people are consuming is 
responsibly considered as far as its messaging. What about negotiating deals? You mentioned that as well. Yeah, he has a different style, for sure. That's what I will say. I tend to be more aggressive (laughs) because why not? It's all about getting the money. More money, the better. And I think it really just comes down to how much leverage you have to be more aggressive, what the terms are that they offer you, and where that person is in their career. Sometimes you have to loop in the creative execs because the creative side and the business affairs side aren't seeing eye to eye and they need to be communicating so one doesn't blow the deal. There are different approaches to that. But I think for me personally and for Verb in general, we take every deal, we treat every deal like it's the Super Bowl because that's our job. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favorite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favorite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. Can you talk to us about water bottle tours? Yeah, that's your general meetings. What do those look like? How do you prep your clients to go to those and what do you hope to take away from them? Yeah, well, it's to my earlier point, actually. General meetings can be wasted time if you're not accurately and appropriately prepped for them. We are of the belief that all time is precious and it's not worth doing if it's a waste of time. So ahead of every meeting, you're going to know what they're up to, what company they work for, any open assignments. And ahead of the meeting, you're going to have an idea that you can talk about with them because each and every meeting, you'll see, they ask you, so what are you working on? And there has to be kind of a give and take where you're offering them something, they'll offer you something. That is the most productive way to approach those meetings because otherwise you can do those rounds of meetings and nothing can come of it. And what's the point of taking them if you're going to do it that way? But it is really, really great because having FaceTime with a person, you can get a vibe for whether or not you want to work with them or whether or not their ideas are something that interests you, that data is helpful for us to know after the meeting as well, just to keep track of 
you know, who responded to the idea they brought up most. But yeah, it's fun. It's easy. You know, it's just getting to know each other. It's like speed dating, but for work. (laughs) What about the meetings in which your clients are going to pitch? How do you prep them? And are there specific words of wisdom or advice you'd even give to the listeners for the art of the pitch? Absolutely. Going into every pitch, you should know how many people you're competing against and whether or not you need to bring it. You should be aware of the timeline to hire someone and where you sit in the timeline. If you're coming last as the last pitch, you'll always have a better chance of getting the job because it will be so fresh in their minds when they come to make a decision. I think for a pitch, generally speaking for writers, it depends on the capacity of work that you're pitching a take on. But I personally always think starting off with a personal connection to the material plants in their mind, you know, a reason why you're the only person to tell this story that helps you kind of have that association built in when they're deciding. You can talk about characters, you can talk about themes, what you're thinking, but the bulk of the pitch will be pitching the actual three-act plot. And I would keep every pitch under 20 minutes, 20 to 25 minutes. I time all my writer clients for practice pitches and my director clients. And I think it is extremely valuable to do practice pitches because we're able to actually give you notes on your presentation where half the job is being able to sell in the room. And a lot of writers don't realize that, but presentation is everything and confidence is everything. Some people prefer to, if they're you know strapped for time, they read off of a document, that's fine. But if you can get to the point where you're not reading off a document, that is always preferred. Are all of these meetings, especially over the past year or so, the landscape has changed as far as people going to work, being able to do your job from home. For these meetings, are many happening over Zoom anymore? Or is that in the past, are these pitches, are these water bottle tours? Yeah, they're mostly over Zoom. Yeah, and it's kind of tricky, (laughs) I'll admit. It's a lot harder to sell over Zoom, especially for directors too, giving their presentations. But they're over Zoom. We're making it work. It is harder to get people to take general meetings because they're so Zoomed out at this point. But we've made do. It's worked. It will continue to work. And yeah, I think it's just easier and safer all around. Can you walk us through a little bit the landscape of TV versus film? Obviously, it's changed a lot. Film, there's, I imagine, maybe less gigs. TV, obviously more gigs, lots of studios. For your writers, are you finding that it's easier to get a gig in TV versus film? Walk us through how you approach that, or is there any difference at all? I think they're both hard in different ways. I do think that what is helpful is to you know, be in lockstep with both TV and film sides of a client's team where you can capitalize on both opportunities simultaneously. For younger writers who have a pilot sample, staffing is a great way to get your foot in the door as far as open writing assignments go and getting in the paid writing opportunity game. And you learn a lot through that as well. You learn a lot from everybody you're working with, from your showrunner. It's a really relationship-based business where 
you know, film is an island, a lonely island where you're the only person, or if you have a writing partner, the two of you are the only people that are responsible for the writing and responsible for delivering on a deadline. But there are certainly tons of open writing assignments in film. The COVID like landscape has really kind of kicked streamers into high gear where everybody needs content. So it's a great time. It's a crazy time where you're seeing, you know, 20 years worth of change in two years, but there's definitely a lot of opportunity in film. It just depends on where you are in your career and what opportunities you're looking for. While we're talking about opportunities, I'd love to talk about the long-term plan when you first begin to work with a writer. Obviously, the short-term, I imagine, is to get them first gig and those jobs following that. But in the long-term, what is your plan? How do you structure out their career? In our signing meetings with people, we always ask what their long-term goal is. We like to curate the plan to the person. Having a North Star is extremely helpful. Acknowledging that over the course of their career, that may change, but you need to adapt and be flexible and facilitate any changes as they happen You know, quickly. What I love about Verb is that we're extremely communicative between TV, film, all of the areas in which a client is represented. So we're also in meetings with each other every day and it's borderline excessive, but it helps to communicate actionable insights into a client's wants, needs, goals as they happen on a daily basis. That way we're able to meet those expectations all the faster, convert all the faster and be flexible and nimble as that may change over time. What about for yourself? This is a two-parter. What are your end goals for yourself? And then you mentioned earlier the responsibilities working in the entertainment industry. What are the messages that you want to put out in the world? What is your thesis statement for the writers that you're working on and the content that you're putting out there? Yeah. I mean, as far as my goals, I think, you know, I would love to be a partner at the agency one day. I'm obsessed with Verb. I think I'm a great leader. That is definitely a North Star for me. And I just love this job. I love being a representative and looking out for other people's needs and having a hand in seeing them grow from the earliest seedlings of their career to a blossoming flower. And, you know, it's you're on a journey together. You are in the highs and lows of their career with them. And that's an incredibly powerful relationship to have, which I take very seriously. I think as far as the responsibilities for content that I have a hand in putting out there, there's so much cool, different genre-bending content that has messaging built in that there never really was before. I mean, take Get Out. That is such a fabulous movie. It was made for a price, really, really impactful movie. And I think for me, you know, I got emboldened to start in this industry because I was so bored of seeing the same white dude story. (laughs) And, you know, there's so many fascinating, different, diverse sets of experience that everybody can relate to, but hadn't been told before. And I feel like 
coming into this business at exactly the right moment, it's really exciting and inspiring to think of all of the possibilities. I think I take it seriously that women are getting the same opportunities that they should, that people of color are getting the same opportunities as they should, that we're actually giving a voice to the people who have authenticity in telling those stories. I think it's just being responsible in that way as well. It's really important to me. Arguably the most important is making sure that the voices that the public are seeing, watching, they connect with them. They find representation in them. And I think audiences are loving it. Love that. I have a few bonus questions before we go. The first one being, if you could have worked on any projects in the history of cinema, what would you choose from a project level? It's such a good question. And it's so hard. I certainly was obsessed with St. Maud last year. I thought that was so genius and so different and screwed up and amazing and twisted. I thought that was just amazing, amazing film. And I love genre. I really do like this renaissance of the horror genre as a vehicle for really, really powerful messaging and commentary. And I think you can make them for a price, which is really, really cool and easier, but you can pack almost more punch. So any kind of social commentary driven horror project is arguably going to be the North Star for me. I love Julia Dupour now. I love Raw. That was one of my favorites as well. There's so much to love out there. It's hard to choose. I have one more choice that you might have to make, and it is you could take any writer living or dead to any restaurant, which writer would you choose and why? Probably Jesse Armstrong. Because <laughs> Jesse Armstrong. I mean, doesn't get much better than that. And which restaurant and why? That's a good question, actually. That one I'm stumped. I'm dying to try the new Al's Waters restaurant. So I'm going to put that down. But my go-to is John and Vinny's. It's classic. Amazing. Always good. What is one thing in your opinion that people get wrong about agents and Hollywood in general? You know, I think I personally had biases about what an agent looked like when I was first starting out. Having only seen Entourage, I thought of it as predominantly male-dominated business where women in that show were only depicted as these like evil femme fatales who would like sleep their way to the top. And that is just not the case. I think there's so much diversity amongst the agent ranks, especially at Verb, where, you know, you get a very, very different approach with women as well. I feel like the women that I work with are so compassionate and empathetic and caring and great at multitasking and intuitive. And we can still bust our balls for a client all the same, but we're not sleeping our way to the top to do so. The last question is. And this is the same question I ask then every episode. If you had to choose one piece of advice or learning from your entire career to pass along to the writers who are listening, what's the one thing that you would say? I think just keep generating and don't worry about the things you can't control. For me, that is a universal truth of everyone in this business. There's a lot to worry about at all times. But if you stay focused on the task at hand and leave everything up, to 
you know, when you actually know more and actually need to worry, it will make your life a lot easier and less complicated and less stressful. Well, thank you, Sarah. It's been a pleasure. Is there anything you wanted to plug? Do agents plug things? Do you have Twitters and Instagrams and social media? <laughs> I'm like terrible at social media. Yeah, no, no need to plug, but it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It means a lot to us and to the writers out there to demystify the world of Hollywood, the world of agents. So we really appreciate you taking some time to talk to us about your life. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to get out there? You were great. I really appreciate this. Well, thank you again, Sarah, for your insights and your time. It was an honor. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.